Who's there? What goes on? Two men from Assisi. Who are you? Don Peter, the priest of this church. What are you doing here? I'm waiting for my friend. He's inside praying at your crucifix. Ah, it must be Francis. You know him. He comes here quite a lot. Can you explain to me what's happening to him? Half the time I don't know what he's talking about. The other half I don't want to know what he's talking about. Only Francis can explain Francis. Why do you wait for him? Because I'm his friend. Maybe the only one he has left. You just heard an excerpt from Paul McCusker and his radio drama on St. Francis of Assisi, The Barefoot Saint. Welcome to the RC Spirituality Podcast, designed to help you pray, learn, grow and go and become the complete Christian God created you to be. I'm Lucy Honor, and I am joined here with Father John Batunik, and today we are going to be talking about Father's recent interview with Paul McCusker. So, Father John, you have known Paul for a little while. Oh, yeah, for years, ever since he converted. Actually, I knew him before he converted to the Catholic faith, more than 10 years ago. So that was right around the time that you were doing the Better Part promotion and... And Inside the Passion. Inside the Passion, that's right. And so, um, tell us a little bit about Paul. Yeah, so Paul uh, grew up um, kind of in the Protestant world, uh, was born again as a Baptist, and always wanted to be a writer. So, he got his degree in journalism, and then he started writing. He was writing plays for churches to be put on by youth groups, and then he started working with Focus on the Family, which is one of the biggest kind of media apostolates in the Protestant world internationally. Mm -hmm. He created a series which a lot of our listeners might be familiar with, Adventures in Odyssey, kind of a radio Mm -hmm. drama for kids, Mm -hmm. created radio theater for Focus on the Family, has written multiple double digits, we're talking, novels, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, extremely talented, very accomplished. And he uh, became a Catholic, uh, as I said, about a little little over 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So he has got quite a talent for being creative when it comes to writing in lots of different genres for lots of different audiences. So your interview, you kind of were talking a lot about his works, right? Yeah. So now he works for the Augustine Institute, which is a very solid, very fruitful Catholic apostolate where they do all kinds of different things, educational things. They they sponsored the, they created the Formed website, which a lot of our listeners might know about. So Paul is a kind of a writer in residence for them. So he's creating a series of children's books. He's creating some formation material. Just they got him doing a lot of different stuff. And one of the things that he did, which I love, is he created a radio theater for the Augustine Institute. It's called Augustine Institute Radio Theater. Air Theater. A-I-R Theater. So, (laughs) (laughs) And the first um, radio dramas that he produced, so they're dramas that you listen to. It's like you're driving in the car, and instead of listening to a book on tape, you're actually listening to a drama with real actors, with a real script. So the first one that he did for Augustine Institute was on St. Francis. He dramatized the life and the uh, the experience of St. Francis. It's called The Barefoot Saint of Assisi. And I got had the privilege of listening to that during a, a week-long spiritual exercises. And what I really enjoyed about it is that he made the saint kind of come to life. And he spoke very much about the humanness of Francis. And you could very much relate. And I loved he used his humor and a lot of, like, and he gave you a deeper insight into the life of, of a saint in very ordinary circumstances. Yeah. See, that's the thing about Paul. He's not, it's not your typical kind of super pious life of a saint. 
Paul, who's you know his own background coming from uh, the Protestant world and understanding the saints, not because he grew up with saint books and things, um, but because he he wanted to he wants to understand the real the real story behind the life of how did they become a saint? They're human beings just like us, right? So in this interview with him, I talk about his concept of the radio dramas in general and about St. Francis in particular and his experience of coming up with the script and casting it and producing it and directing it. Uh, so we go into that. And that's one of the things we bring up. That's wonderful. And then kind of looking at that transformation in one's life, right, of going or seeing that um, the work of God's grace working in one's life. And Paul also is has a unique opportunity coming up this October that he's going to be present at the canonization of the upcoming Saint John Henry Newman. And so I know that we have finally found a way in which uh, Paul can participate here with us at RC Spirituality. So tell us a little bit about the meditation novena that Paul's going to um, prepare for yeah, so, October. So Paul is, he's a Reagan Christie member, so he appreciates our spirituality. He feels called to evangelize the world in creative ways. Uh, and he happened to be going to the canonization uh, on October 13th, 2019, uh, in Rome, and there's five saints being canonized, one of whom is John Henry Newman, Cardinal Newman. Who you have a fondness for, I love him. I love his prayer, lead kindly light. He's Mm -hmm. an inspiration. He was probably the most famous convert to the Catholic Church in Europe in the the 1800s. Super influential. Uh, He was beatified by Benedict XVI, and he's going to be canonized by Pope Francis. And he was instrumental in Paul's own conversion, Paul McCusker's conversion to the Catholic faith. So Paul worked it out. He's going to be able to go to to be in Rome for um, for more than a week during before and after the canonization. And when I heard that, I said, "Hey, Paul, would you like to to write kind of a uh, a meditation of musings on your experience and on Cardinal Newman while you're there, and we could publish it at RC Spirituality?" And he said, "Sure, let's let's give it a shot." So he's going to be sending us uh, an installment every day while he's in Rome before, during, and after the canonization of Cardinal Newman. And those musings, he's going to combine his experience of being in Rome, what's going on with the canonization, Cardinal Newman himself, his life, his spirituality, and Paul's own uh, spiritual reflections. And he's going to put that in kind of a daily uh, article, which we're going to publish as a meditation novena. Mm-hmm. That'll begin on October the 11th, but you can go to rcspirituality.org and you can already see that there's a way to opt in if you'd like to receive that in a daily email. And then once the meditation novena has been completed by the 18th or the 19th of October, that'll be a available on our site. So I'm looking forward to this or listening to this interview uh, amongst friends, um, sharing in the the work that Paul has been doing. So why don't we go ahead and jump right into today's interview, Father John Batunik speaking with Paul McCusker. So I just want to throw out the first question, rather than asking you, where'd you come up with the idea? And how, no, I just want, I want uh, you to tell us, you know, as Red and Christie members, that's, you know, one of the core segments of our audience. As a Red and Christie member, why, why should I even listen to an audio drama about the life of St. Francis? Well, that's, a, that's an excellent question. In fact, I'd go further. Why even engage with the saints at all, apart from any theological thing? When um, we first talked about that audio drama and doing it, um, I responded with the question, do we really have to do the life of a saint? Because as a, as a fairly new Catholic, if I could put it that way, my feeling was that the saints are often like 
that older brother and sister that your parents always hold up in front of you and go, why can't you be more like that? Why are you not like them? We should be more like them. And you, and then it gets irritating rather than appreciating them for who they are. You're thinking, right, I can never attain whatever they attain. And why even bother? Because so you've been irritated by the example of the saints in, in your own life? Well, I wouldn't say irritated, just I I, I think I was put off because, again, I come from a Protestant tradition. The only saint we had would have been Billy Graham, maybe C.S. Lewis. So, (laughs) you know, that's a different thing. But when I kept hearing about different saints, I could appreciate uh, what they did and how they did it, St. Patrick and a lot of them. But a lot of them also leave you with this feeling like, well, I can never attain that. I mean, they just made huge decisions and sacrifices at a level that I just can't do. I, you know, I don't feel that it's possible. So that's what I mean about it, feeling like the older brother or sister who's getting straight A's and they're becoming doctors, lawyers. They're going to be a great success in the world. And your parents are looking at you going, yeah, and, and who are you and what are you going to be? Well, that's the thing, especially when we decided to start with St. Francis. Because if you watch any movies and what you, any cursory knowledge that we have, in a popular sense, he was like this flaky hippie who did outrageous things. I mean, it was just crazy running around naked or whatever it was he was doing, giving up everything. You wouldn't, I mean, it was an extreme that I kept thinking, I don't even know how we engage with that. I don't know of any Christian or Catholic or anybody that would do or want to mimic whatever it was he was doing. So when you started this project, you, you were, you would say you were not inspired by the example of St. Francis? Not at a deep level. I could give a cognitive appreciation, you know, oh. because everyone spoke so highly of him. But what little I knew of him, I kept thinking, yeah, but I don't, I don't think I want to be like that, you know. So did that change when you worked on the project? Well, it, it did, because when Dr. Tim Gray asked, when he said, okay, let's start with saints, and let's start with St. Francis, because he's, he and St. Patrick are probably the two best-known saints in the world. secular and Christian. So I said, all right, well, let me see if there's a story there. That's always the big thing for me. Uh, There are some stories that that we can't tell because they won't tell well in the format we use, audio drama or even film. Some of the saints' lives are so deeply internal, they don't necessarily translate well to drama, which should be more active. And so um, I said, well, let me, let me research. Let me just do a bit of reading. And really what I w- wanted to get is a, an angle. I wanted to figure out, okay, who was he really? Uh-huh. And why was he what he was? And why did he do what he did unless he was insane? But I don't <laughs> think we acknowledge that he's insane. No, no, he's not so insane. Few people would, so he's not insane. <laughs> so that was the point was first I had to assure myself he wasn't insane. Uh, and then the next thing was to read about him and figure out uh, his motivations. What was it that happened? Why did he make the choices he made? What was it that was going on in him and in his life? Well, then I began to read. And the more I read, the more fascinated I became. So how much reading did you end up having to do before you started kind of the story aspect came into focus? Well, we were very, <laughs> we were on a short leash time-wise. Oh, so you were so under I, the gun. I had to become somewhat of an expert in a very short time. And by expert, I use the term loosely. I, I am a fake expert. I become an expert on a subject while I'm dramatizing the subject. Right. Whatever it may be, Dietrich Bonhoeffer or whoever. 
And so I dive in deep and then begin to look for the nuggets. I look for the things that are going to help me understand it. And it, it began to become clear to me, and I'm not pretending that after all these hundreds of years that I know him better or have figured him out better than uh, many other people, but for me, dramatically, what I caught on to were two key things about him that fascinated me. One was that he viewed himself as a kind of troubadour, that prior to this, these moments that led him into a complete and, and reckless devotion to Christ, um, he was determined to, um, he wanted to be a troubadour. You get a sense that he was very fam- flamboyant, that he was sort of a, a showman in a way. So and a troubadour in the medieval sense. Can you In the medieval that? sense, a troubadour. Yes, the idea of big, big, almost bigger than life, a performance artist, you know. Performance artist. Just sort of being really big and expressive and enthusiastic, wide-eyed in many respects, not cynical at all. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing, of course, was the idea of being a, a knight. He wanted to be this white knight, you know, uh, and he, he kept thinking of glory and valor and all of these. Chivalry. Things. Yeah. I mean, it's very romantic in, in a lot of ways. So I thought, okay, I get this because much as Saul becomes St. Paul and a lot of Saul becomes St. Paul as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like he was this and then he was that. Uh, the this that he was as, as, as Saul became modified in St. Paul. So when you read passages where he sounds rather stubborn, whether he sounds fairly irritated, you're going, yeah, this is Saul. Same guy. It's the same guy. Saul converted, but now he's redirected his energies and that energy of anger or patience or the kinds of things that he said when he got really agitated um, reflected Saul, but, but redemptively. And I kept thinking, well, Francis was the same way, that there were aspects of him that came into his perspective of his faith. And I actually reduced it down to one, one particular view to help me understand him. He felt, I think, that when he threw himself wholeheartedly into his love of Christ, that his view was, if, if what my former life had, if it can't be redeemed, then I have to get rid of it completely. So money, for example, a penny was the same as a million dollars to him. He saw in any possession the temptation to be what he was, the son of a fairly wealthy merchant. He, he could have been the enthusiastic playboy type. But in his love for Christ, he decided to purge those things that he himself could not redeem or that Jesus couldn't redeem within his life. So if putting on a shirt meant he would be tempted to put on the best of all shirts and thus stimulating uh, this degree of a uh, wrong passion in the wrong direction, he got rid of it. He just purged anything that couldn't be redeemed. Now, it's fascinating because he loved music. He saw how music could be redeemed. He sang, he composed, he, he praised God through song. And that's a holdover from what we know of his previous life, that he loved music then too. So all of that combined together to help me 
understand him in a way that I thought I could dramatize. And then once you do that, you move into, okay, so what was his family thinking? You know, father make of this. What do most Christians make when another Christian looks like they've gone off the rails in some sort of extreme devotion to Christ? You know, we, we like all things in moderation. And St. Francis was not moderate when it came to what he believed Christ wanted him to do. Okay, so let's go back now, understanding kind of how you were able to come up with uh, some elements that led to a real story. So he becomes a real person for you, and then you put that into the drama. So let's go back to that original question. So why should someone, like, what, would, what would you expect someone to get out of? How would they benefit by listening to this audio drama of St. Francis? Well, um, I think it's, it's in, in the same way we benefit from at one level, any story with a compelling character uh, that are in, that might be inspirational, whether it's the Marvel Universe and you find inspiration in Iron Man or Thor or whatever. But what happens is that the, ultimately the saints model for us things that we can aspire to and actually to a great degree attain. That's the other thing. I had felt that many of the saints were at a level of holiness that I could never attain but what I realized was that what he did was recklessly throw himself into his love for Christ and then for him play that out day to day. Every decision he made, everything he did was based on that. Well, in many ways, to whatever degree or whatever extreme we may apply in our lives as we move towards holiness, as we try to grow deeper in our relationship with Christ, but we're all making those decisions at any given moment. Uh, the degree to which we make those decisions is an ongoing thing for all of us. The choices we make in any given day. The thing that I find with any of the saints that is maybe a little bit different is they made their choice. And I want to keep using the word recklessly. You don't get a sense of contrivance. You don't get a sense that they went, okay, God, make a deal with me, and then if I like it, I'll follow it. What they basically had all said is, in my time and in my place, I will follow you, come what may. And that, to me, is a simplistic way of putting it with all the saints I've studied. They just said, I'm going to do it. Come what may, I'm going to do what I believe you've told me to do. So and that to me is the value. That's the thing is when we see that modeled for us, it's inspiring. It shows us, if nothing else, that it can be done because all of these saints were human beings with the same struggles we have. And, and there's nothing different in that respect in terms of Francis and the struggles with sin he had even after he threw himself wholeheartedly into his relationship with Christ. So I find inspiration where I didn't expect to find it. I'm Father John Bartunek, and you're listening to the R.C. Spirituality Podcast. You're hearing now my interview with Paul McCusker, writer, director, and producer of The Barefoot Saint of Assisi, uh, an audio drama published, created by the Augustan Institute on the life of St. Francis, whose feast day is coming right up. Hope you're enjoying the interview. We wanted to introduce you to Paul McCusker because... Uh, soon he will be going to Rome, and he will be corresponding with rcspirituality.org every day uh, throughout the canonization process of Cardinal Newman. Cardinal Newman, John Henry Newman, and a few other uh, of our older brothers and sisters in the faith are going to be canonized on October 13th this year. And Paul will be uh, 
sharing his experience of being in Rome before, during, and after that canonization. So be sure to visit rcspirituality.org to sign up to receive uh, those emails, that meditation novena. We're going to have nine days accompanying uh, Paul as he uh, is there in Rome for the canonization. And now back to my interview with Paul, uh, Paul McCusker, the creator of the audio drama on St. Francis of Assisi. And so going back to what you said earlier about, you know, there were certain characteristics of his personality, which, you know, didn't go away after he made that radical decision to follow Christ recklessly. So, I I mean, I find in that, uh, I mean, that can be encouraging, right? Here we are, we all want to be saints. And, you know, we find certain things in ourselves that aren't really very saintly. Um, But is a question of, you make the decision, as you just said, but then I think, and this comes out, I think, in the drama that you put together, you have to remake that decision. you got to renew that decision at various points as new challenges come up. Right. And I, I think you dramatized that pretty well. I mean, maybe you could talk about some of those, some of those other plot points in the life of St. Francis, where every time he was, you know, he had a new challenge, he had to renew that decision, and, and how that added to the story, how that adds to our ability to relate to him. Well, and, and that would be the key moments that many of us know and some of us don't know. For example, until I studied, I didn't realize he had been a prisoner of war for a year. I didn't realize he'd even gone to war, <laughs> let alone become a prisoner of war. And if we use modern phraseology and say he might have suffered from a form of PTSD, you know, mm. the post-traumatic stress of the year being locked up, not knowing what he was fighting for because the war he was in was one of these power struggles between two major entities, cities and families. And so um, a year spent in a, a dank and dark and dismal prison certainly affected him. And how he rebounded from that, I think, is one of those stepping stones in any spiritual journey that not, it opened the door enough for him to begin to think of religion of faith as something other than he thought that it was because it was Mm -hmm. woven with life to culture and you just did it because it was part of the fabric of your life it wasn't something exceptional so i think that was a first step and then as he began to move he was encountering the sick he was dealing with the poor even in his own arrogance the way he might have dismissed them or whatever there are stories along those lines where he began to rethink in light of that, okay, this is this right? Is this important? Then he went off. He was going to go off to war again. He was going to march in and become that knight he wanted to be. And it, that all fell apart. And, and he found himself, in, in a way, either thwarting himself or being thwarted from pursuing the kind of life he thought he wanted, but it wasn't what he needed. He's kind of like George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> Everything that he thought he wanted, turns out he couldn't have, And he didn't really need it in the first place. So Francis was a lot like that, these pivot points. And then, of course, there are um, these moments of pushback, because not only did he have pushback as he was trying to head for the life that he thought he wanted, and it wasn't, then when he finally said, it's about Jesus, I have got to give myself totally to him, then he got pushed back again from his father in particular. His relationship with his father was strained um, to the, I mean, it wasn't good, I think, in the first place, because Francis wasn't interested in business, you know, that kind of thing. But I think his father, 
uh, as I was writing the drama, I kept imagining what it was like for the father to be dealing with this wacko son. I mean, yeah. who just seemed to be going to new extremes, almost in defiance of him. And I tried to capture that in the drama, the father and Francis colliding. And Francis was his father's son. You almost get a sense of the same sort of stubbornness his father had, but in two different directions. And then, of course, his mother's in between them, figure out how to buffer the, the crises that kept coming up between them. Well, that, I think that's one of the motifs in this drama, which you know struck me a lot. Throughout the whole life of St. Francis, you kind of bring that, that his family life wasn't perfect, that he didn't get the support that he wanted, and that affected him, and he felt that. And so you kind of bring that out. Uh, I don't know if, uh, I mean, you as a convert, right, and uh, not having tons of support in your own spiritual journey, maybe from some family members, I don't know, do you feel like you're extra sensitive to that, or did you feel that that just helped make him more real. Um, I think that's something a lot of people can relate to, you know? Well, yeah, I, I think so. The the stakes increase. I mean, because even his mother who thought, uh, oh, well, I want him. I believe God has his hand on my son and he's going to do some amazing things. I have her say in the drama, well, I thought it was going to happen, but not like this. Right. So right. even her in her, in her faith had an image in her mind of what it was going to be like for him. And it wasn't. So even that kind of threw her. And I think that's it. I think we're all faced with these situations where we have to make a choice. And sometimes the choices don't even see, seem obviously right or wrong. They just are choices we make when God is saying, well, here, you can do this or not. You can try that or not. But in any great drama, one of the things they'll tell you is for every choice a character makes, there should be an equal or stronger opposing force to fight them on that decision, that every step, the stakes get higher and higher and higher. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true in our spiritual lives, that uh, when making decisions, when I'm a Protestant moving in the direction of the ancient church, I didn't intend to become Catholic. Um, but as I'm moving in that direction, I realize the stakes are getting higher and higher because I've asked questions. And if I was serious about the questions, and that meant the answers were going to require me to do something. Yeah. Uh, and I, I could relate to St. Francis, not at the level that he had to deal with it. But yeah, family relationships were a bit strained, if not extreme. <laughs> if I, I was not disowned uh, quite the way he and his dad had to do it. But uh, yeah, I could relate to the struggle, the rejection, the sense of rejection, the potential change. Uh, I was working for the you know evangelical Protestant organization, and for all I knew, they might say, you know, with you in your position, we just don't think it's a good idea for you to be Catholic. And if you're going to be Catholic, then maybe you shouldn't be in this position. Um, by the grace of God, they were actually good about it. Uh, a bit of a don't ask, don't tell policy. But <laughs> they knew that I knew our audience and that I wasn't going to betray that. Um, so I, I understood that the stakes were high. And I guess that's the thing, isn't it? We have to make these decisions one way or the other, come what may. And I still yearn to be reckless. But Francis himself, did he see those big decisions as big decisions? I don't think he, he saw them. He, he, I went, I'm not even sure he considered them decisions as much as he saw them as revelations. Right. The aha moments when he would go, oh, right. 
don't carry a cloak or sandals. I'm going to go barefoot from now on. I'm mm-hmm. not going to wear a cloak because Jesus told the disciples, go off and do this. So here's another thought, though. Yeah. Another uh, <laughs> So, you know, we, we sometimes think about the saints as if once they get it right, once they figure everything out, then it's like they're living heaven on earth. They've got it all together. They have all the answers. Everything's working out. And in the in what you bring out in the life of Francis is that toward, even as his life progressed, even when he became famous and when he, you know, the Franciscan order started to grow, that's, that wasn't his experience. His experience was continued uncertainty, continued opposition. And- well, it's always struck me that anytime we want to get closer to Christ and obey him, things don't get better, they get worse. And I don't mean necessarily spiritually, but I mean in terms of the world around us. Uh, for all the reasons we mentioned, whether it's a father who just disagrees and doesn't think he's going the right direction, a mother who agrees to some degree, but doesn't necessarily want to, uh, to go as far as he was going. You know, people want peace. And I yeah. take seriously what Jesus said. Well, actually, I didn't come to bring peace. I actually have brought a sword that's going to divide family members. And I think he meant it. And we know in Muslim countries that that's very true, by the way. You become a Christian in many of uh, the extreme Muslim countries, and it's often the family members who will betray you, and you will be dragged out into the marketplace and possibly stoned to death. I mean, that's the way it is. And I think when we talk about the idea that, or this illusion that, hey, I've made a deal with God, and now things are going to be okay, it just betrays everything Jesus says in the gospel. Yeah. So sometimes when trouble happens, I have to ask myself, wait a minute, did I, what deal did I think I made with God? You know, because I did this, or I did this, or this, I was at church every Sunday, or I tithed, or I did the extra effort, that somehow God is going to go, hey, I'm going to keep you safe, and everything's going to be just fine and dandy for you. Well, with Francis, I mean, once he he and his father had this big split, it was no time at all before he gets beaten up and robbed by a couple of beggars, I mean, left completely destitute. So in many of the saints' lives, you will see hardship is intensified by commitment to Christ. But even at the end of his life, St. Francis, after he, as I said, he became famous. Everyone said, you're a saint. And, but his own order, there was strife in his own order, his own followers. He didn't even want to found an order. That was the funny part. <laughs> I mean, he is, he is the classic guy who is just like, look, I'm doing what I'm doing. If you want to imitate that, that's fine. But, you know, suddenly they're going, well, you need rules for your order. And I think he's still thinking, what order? I didn't, I didn't, they're following me. So then he gets into the bureaucracy of it. You have to have organization. And he's not thinking about organization. Um, His own body betrayed him. I mean, he was sickling. He had all kinds of medical conditions. And he continued to have temptations. The temptations didn't go away. I mean, there are reasons. He kept calling his body brother ass because he kept almost thinking, I've got to beat this thing into submission because it will not obey. It will not yield. It, it is determined to go its own way. Even And now we're back to what the Apostle Paul said. Do I sin the grace might abound? The things I know I should do, I don't do, or the things I don't shouldn't do, I do. Yeah. And he goes back and forth on that. Francis struggled with that all the way through to the end. So there's a point where he had a collision of not only his own body betraying him, his own temptations, but now he's got this bureaucratic thing with setting up rules for order. I shouldn't call it bureaucratic, but you know what I mean. (laughs) You've got to have rules. You've got to have structure. You now have a lot of people. And then even the structure begins to outdo him. 
other people are rising up going, well, you know what? He founded us, but he may not be the one to lead us. So now he's suddenly the founder who is not really the president. Do you know right, what I mean? Exactly. Almost like a corporation thing going, well, no, no, that's not what I meant at all. I think they need to do this because other people were trying to take his extremes to a different extreme. So for all of us, the illusion that things are going to be great in a very materialistic way or yeah. a way of ease and comfort if we dedicate ourselves to Christ um, is, is not true. It may happen, but that doesn't make it true in the sense that you can expect it or that we should. And there are seasons, too. There are seasons of life as we follow our life. But I think that comes, that's one of the things I really like about this drama in particular is that, you, you know, I mean, he died in his 40s, right? So he didn't live a super long life. But right. you show that every step of the way, every season, he's still carrying the cross and he's still right. trying to discern what, what God is asking and trying to understand how God is working. I think that comes across. And he was the first with the stigmata. Right. Uh, he bore the wounds of Christ on his body. Um, so depending on how you interpret some of Paul's writings, uh, Francis may have been the first, let's say, documented case of it. That yeah. We know. yeah. And um, uh, yeah, so, but he, he persevered. And I suppose that's another part of the characteristics of the saints. They persevered. They, they hung in there. They kept getting thrown all the things that are thrown at us by way of temptations and discouragement, self-doubt, not doubt in Christ, but self-doubt. I think right. St. Francis constantly went back to his own vulnerabilities, to his own weaknesses. He didn't pretend like they didn't exist, and he didn't pretend like Jesus had made them better. Um, he acknowledged them and continued right. to rely on the grace of God throughout, at, at every stage. So speaking of perseverance, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit before we finish uh, about your own experience of putting together this audio drama on a life of a saint, uh, which isn't, you know, just for kids. I mean, this is something that the Augustan Institute is publishing as, hey, this is a, a great new resource and rate kind of audio dramas. I don't right. know what they're calling it. Uh, audio, it's, it's audio drama. Air, it's Augustan Institute Radio Theater. Yeah, air it's theater. not an audio book. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, air theater. <laughs> but it, yeah, and it's not an audio book. It's an audio drama. We have it's a drama, book. right. 25, 30 people in it. Yeah, Just so you had to get a cast together. You had to, you know, direct them. You, you wrote the script, the script, obviously. Tell what was that? I mean, that's a lot of work. And, and how does that come together? A lot of people probably have never had an experience like that. So kind of bring well, us behind the scenes a little bit. Yeah, the simple version of it is what I'll do is I write the script. And I had to do it very quickly. And, um, and the whole time I'm asking St. Francis to help me. Uh, this is what I love about being Catholic because I can ask for help like that. It's like, I'm yeah. representing your life. Can you help me with this? I'm representing <laughs> your life. Give me a hand. And, um, and, and by the grace of God, I was able to get what I think was a decent script written. Um, the version we recorded might have been a second draft. And mm. it was actually written in about three weeks. Wow. So it's like 10 half-hour episodes done in a very crash-and-burn time. And then... They're sent to the actors, and uh, we have a casting person in England. We record in England because the English uh, actors over there are very diverse in what they like to do. They don't think the way American actors often do, which is, okay, I'm going to graduate from stage to TV and then TV to feature films, mm. and that's it. 
over there, they will do a major movie. Then they'll turn around and do a TV show. Then they'll be on stage in the West End for a while. And they love audio drama. And they know how to act for audio drama. It's a completely different style of acting. You have to act strictly with your voice. So our casting guy um, is going through trying to find the actors that fit the characters and have the right voice quality and the performance. And for me, the big thing was finding the right the right Francis. Right, of course. The danger is everybody's so cynical. And to actually find an actor who could play this role without any guile whatsoever, mm -hmm. without ever giving a hint of a wink or a nudge like, well, we all know that nobody's really like this. You, I had to find the right person. And Joseph Timms was who we found. And he, it's funny, it wasn't even an audition that persuaded me. I watched a couple of interviews with him. Huh. And his unabashed enthusiasm without any cynicism at all is what came through. And I went, okay, I think he's the guy that could do this. So we brought him in. We then hired a lot of other great actors, great British actors. And what we do is we record the voice tracks, just the voices, the actors themselves in London. Those then come back here to America, Colorado Springs in particular. And then the voice tracks are edited down. And, and then we take those voice tracks and we begin to add sound effects and custom music, everything, really. We hardly use any library for any stuff. And then we craft it all together into ultimately what people will hear as a fully, it's like a movie uh, for the mind. It is, it is completely fleshed out in terms of the experience they're going to have when they hear it. And, um, and then that's what we ultimately release. Now, I will say this about St. Francis, and you can... Talk to some of the other guys on the production team who were there. There was a spirit to the recording sessions that I'd never seen before. Now, we had been doing Adventures in Odyssey for years. We had been doing Focus on the Family Radio Theater, Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, I could right. use tons and tons. So that means I've been in a lot of sessions with actors. But there was something about this story, something about the script, something about all of it, even the environment in the studio that impacted the actors in a way that I had not seen before. We often think of actors are going to come in and, oh, if you play the part of Jesus, it's going to rub off on you and you're going to become a Christian. Right. Well, I learned very early on that actors come in and uh, they detach from the characters. They invest mm -hmm. themselves to play a character, but they don't necessarily take the character home. You know, they would no more become a Christian because they played a Christian than they might if becoming a prostitute because they played a prostitute. You crude, but you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. And so it's the same thing. Yet in this session, Joe, I know, was deeply affected personally on a lot of levels by doing the part. Owen Teal, who played the father, mm -hmm. was deeply, deeply affected by playing Francis's father. Joe, and Owen Teal was in Game of Thrones. He played this really hardcore mm -hmm. type in Game of Thrones. And he wept over some of this. Wow. Jeffrey Palmer, one of Britain's most loved actors, uh, actually plays like the elder of the city. Uh -huh. And um, I remember him taking me aside and saying, so is this a life's work for you? <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I've read this script and there's just so much going on in here. I mean, you must, you must have been researching this for years. 
Wow. And I couldn't bring myself to say, well, no, actually about three weeks. <laughs> you know? But I think it's more the character that shines through. It's no credit to me. It's St. Francis, his life. And so the actors, just the something in the studio was different. Yeah. There was a spirit. We always try to keep a family atmosphere there anyway. There was something, I want to say, more spiritual going on in a way that I think was because it was St. Francis. Well, also, I wouldn't underestimate you know, that script, yeah, you wrote it maybe in three weeks, but it, you know, having now, having had so much experience working on scripts, producing and directing dramas, but now doing one that is Catholic, very Catholic, and you at this stage in your life, when you're, you know, a, a convert of maybe a decade, maybe at the time, a little less than 10 years. I'm less than that. But yeah, you're right. It was my first Oh, Catholic drama. Or yeah, drama. so you're able to put a, maybe a lot into it that, that maybe not before. So, you know, that might have been part of what was going on there. Well, I, I think, yeah, I, I think to a great degree uh, with any script, I'm trying to find points of identification. We've already identified that with St. Francis. Things I could relate to. I don't project myself into the scripts, though. Um, I, I, I firmly believe if I'm doing my job well, you shouldn't even know there was a script writer. You should think we somehow magically got microphones in the rooms with these people <laughs> at the time as it really happened. You know, I should be invisible as a writer and director, but I got the connecting points, stood uh, so much. There are things that resonated very deeply with me and, and affected me and then affected after the fact. I mean, just you know, lessons learned from St. Francis, much as writing about St. Patrick or St. Cecilia and even the not Saint Robin Hood, um, yeah, yeah. there are takeaways for me at a spiritual level that I don't take for granted. Yeah, we're gonna def- we're gonna have other conversations about all those audio dramas and the ones that you're gonna work on and come up with in the future. So, just on that last point, what? How would you describe your your relationship with Saint Francis post the drama nowadays? Like, do you still kind of connect with him? Do you have any image of, of him? What's? How would you describe that? Well, uh, two things. One is I have a deep affection for him. Mm-hmm. Now that I think I know him a bit better, feel like I know him better and understand him better. I think that's a big part of it. We dehumanize the saints. We think of them as saints, having always been saints, yeah, somehow, yeah. forgetting the deep struggles they, they had. So I have deep affection for him. What I wanted to be his father, uh, I'm not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are some things that, probably would have driven me crazy much as those closest to him were often driven crazy. Finding the the surprises from him constantly. Um, When you're, especially if you're looking for a world of structure and order, um, (laughs) he defied that. But I think deep affection is the the word I would use Uh, reinforced by the deep affection that went on in the script writing, but also in the studio and in the production itself. I mean, I remember listening to the last scene for the very first time. Our team was in the studio doing what we call playback. And we got down to the the end of it. None of us could speak. We just simply couldn't speak for five minutes. We were so deeply moved by this man. I mean, it, it was the drama, but it was the man that we were writing about. So Yeah, I really think you captured... Uh, I, I love the phrase that you mentioned just earlier about these audio dramas are like a movie for the mind. Yeah. You know, I listen to them when I'm uh, traveling or when I'm working out. And 
you know, they kind of, cause they really do, they just stimulate so much and we can get to know the characters. And I think knowing that you're the writer for me personally, I know that you're not going to take kind of um, pot shots or, or add gratuitous things that aren't in harmony with what really happened. Cause you did your research and you don't, you don't, you want to be faithful to the person in the story. So, and that, that gives me a lot of confidence when I listen to these as well. well thank so. you. Yeah. It was yeah. a great experience. Good stuff. Well, we will have some more conversations later about some of okay. you're working on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, thank you very much, Paul. Keep up the great work. All right, thank you. So there you have it. That's my conversation with Paul McCusker, good friend, Raiden Christie member, and very talented and prolific author. Telling the story of St. Francis of Assisi, you got a little behind-the-scenes view of that radio drama. So you really enjoyed that one, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I always love spending time with Paul. It's really, you know, you see these people who have had a deep experience of God, and they've been faithful mm-hmm. throughout their own journey. And he, who's been kind of tasked, I think, providentially with... Uh, communicating to others through the various writings that he has, his art forms, uh, what it is to be a Christian. It's just always really stimulating to talk with him. So I find it really intriguing that God connects people who have uh, share in this desire of being creative in the way that they communicate the faith. So I know something we've talked about at RC Spirituality since the beginning of our existence is this idea of being able to transform Meet the faith more through story. And so I think it's uh, that interviews, the interview that you just had with Paul is just very encouraging to kind of see the ways in which our faith can be transmitted more through story. And, um, and hopefully we have many more creative ideas for how we can do that. Yeah, well, we would love, uh, we, I really still have in the back of my mind, this idea of creating a whole story corner at rcspirituality.org and maybe even doing an online kind of a, a, an internet TV show where the same truths that we communicate through in different ways, through the retreat guides, through our blogs, through our other material, through our essays, when, when you see them lived out in the context of a story, it connects at another level. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, for our ideal of integral formation, the concept of having real stories as a way of communicating is essential. So, mm-hmm. so any of our listeners out there, you want to help make that happen, just <laughs> let us know. So stay tuned. But until then, we do have the Meditation Novena, which will be following the life of St. John Henry Newman. And you'll get a taste of Paul's creative genius, his talent at conveying the life of St. John Henry Newman in story through the nine days. So you can go to rcspirituality.org and opt in to receive a daily reflection from Paul live from Rome. We hope you enjoyed today's RC Spirituality podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website at rcspirituality.org to find out more Catholic, great Catholic formation resources that can help you become the complete Christian God created you to be. I'm Lucy Honor, consecrated woman of Regnum Christi and director here at RC Spirituality. And on behalf of all of us at RC Spirituality, thanks again for listening. And we hope you will join us again next time. God bless you.